Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. We're exploring understanding this gospel. Series 2, today would be what? Awesome. And we'll be looking at how the entire scriptures are one message, right? If God's agenda is kingdom and the gospel is the message of the kingdom, then the message has been preached for all ages and is relevant for all ages, right? I've been coming through the scriptures to see how relevant the entirety of the gospel has been in the scriptures, right? Because it's one message. We went through a bit. We stopped at Isaiah last Sunday, remember? And then I, I, I said I wanted to get to, to show you stuff in Moses. You know, and you, you, look at, you look at Moses' instance. You know, I, I said something last week Sunday. I said Moses was not there when Moses was born. You know, Moses wrote about the birth of Moses, not from information, but from revelation. He didn't write about his birth because his mother told him. He wrote about his birth because the Lord showed him. Right? It was Moses that wrote about the flood. I mean, only eight human beings survived the flood. And Moses saw before the flood, wrote about it. Saw after the flood and wrote about it. Right? The flood comes out in chapter 8 and then he goes into 9 and men begin to multiply on the face of the earth. And then he gets to um, the genealogy we saw in chapter 11. Of people living way above 120 years. Remember that? And then he gets to, um, he gets to uh, Abraham in chapter 12. And then God calls him out of his father's house. Says come to a land that I will show you. Right? And then Abraham's story begins right through. And, and it's Moses writing all of this. Right? And then Abraham's story goes into Isaac's story. We looked at Abraham's story extensively. Abraham's story goes into Isaac's story. We looked at that as well. Isaac and Jacob. And Ishmael and how there were two covenants, the law and the, and the grace, right? And then we looked at that, and then it brings us to uh, to uh, Jacob, his son with Esau, right? And then Jacob takes us down right through to Joseph, chapter 37, 38, 39, you know, of, of Genesis, takes us through to the story of Joseph, and then um, um, Jacob, that's Joseph's father, comes to. Egypt to Goshen from the land of Israel with 70 people. Remember? Jacob and his family and they, they move into Egypt in that time of famine. In itself signifying the deliverance out of darkness into light. Because there was famine in the world. You remember? That was how Pharaoh dreamt that dream about seven ears of corn. Fat ones, seven thin ears of corn. And then seven very, very plump cows and seven very thin cows and how the seven thin cows swallowed up the seven fat cows. Remember that? And then Joseph explains that to him and says, you have seven years of plenty. So store up. Right? And have a man who is wise in his affairs to manage this. And then Pharaoh then says to Joseph, where else will we find a man in whom is spirit of wisdom and understanding? <laughs> Pharaoh. 
And so he makes Joseph prime minister at 30 years old, exactly 13 years after he began his sojourn at 17. And somehow there's something about 17-year-old boys in scripture. You know, I'm not into biblical numerology <laughs> by any means. I mean, but every now and then you have some things that are clearly patterns in scripture. For instance, that, that age is, is significant. In a lot of times that, that, that God begins to lay hold of someone. You know, Gideon was about 17. Uh, David was about 17. Solomon was about, about that age when he had that dream. You know, this, you see 17 recurrently through the Old Testament. You know, so he was just about 17 at the time that he was sold off into Egypt. And by the time he became prime minister, he was 30. So you're looking at a 13-year period, right? There's famine in the whole world except Egypt because Egypt had stored for seven years. Make sense? So by the time the famine hits, Joseph is about 37. Because his first assignment was to harness the years of plenty and store up for the years of famine. And according to his interpretation of the dream, there were seven years of plenty. And so there's darkness and there's famine. There's absence of food. Food. Absence of grain. Which signifies absence of bread. Which signifies absence of life. Are you here? Because when the brothers eventually came to Egypt, what did they come looking for? Grain. To make bread, which was the staple food of the Jews at the time. Are we together? Jesus is all through the scriptures, such that the only way that in the world you can survive, your survival lies in believing Joseph. Does that make sense? Joseph was the savior of the world. He who controlled the grain in that famine controlled the life of the people that were dependent on the grain. So instantly you see Joseph as a type of the Savior. If you will eat, you must deal with Joseph. So instantly he became the most powerful man in the world. Because he was in control of even the resources in Pharaoh's palace. Are you here? So if you had to eat, if you had to be sustained, if you had to stay alive, you must believe in the ministry of Joseph. Because outside the ministry of Joseph is death. If you will live, you must eat of Joseph. Because Joseph controlled the bread. If you must survive and not be swept away by the judgment upon the earth, you must transact with Joseph. And you see him as a type of Jesus. The world is in, the, in chaos. If you must be saved, just like you see in Noah's ark. I'm trying to show you the pattern of the Old Testament so you can understand it when you read. Same story. It's one story. One story. One story. If you will be saved, you must come into the ark. If you will be saved, Amalekites, you must understand that salvation is with Joshua. Remember when they deceived themselves and deceived them and then put ashes on themselves and they came from behind and said, we travel from a far country. Come and help us. Oh. Enter the pack to them. 
So all through you see one, I don't have time to go into it, all through you see what one story, different narratives, one story. So you see Joseph as a type of Christ. If you have to eat, you must go to Egypt. You must. You must come out of the world, you must go to where light is. You must go to where food is. You must go to where sustenance is. So it's instantly you see Joseph there as a type of Christ. What, what, what was the transition that even led him to his glory? The pit. Signifying being put under. Signifying death. You hear now? Wrongfully accused. By a sinful woman. And then he was punished for her sin. Because if you're looking at it, legally speaking, it is the adulterous wife of Potiphar that we should be jailing and embarrassing and stripping of our authority because clearly for that woman it was a pattern. Nothing suggests in the nomenclature of that text that it was the first time Potiphar's wife was trying to lay hold of young boys. And as a psychologist, I understand that most times what perpetuates a thing is repeated behavior that you get away with. A rapist is most likely to rape again if he was not called out and exposed the first time. A violent offender is most likely to do it again. Your husband or your boyfriend slaps you, say he will change. It's you that will change. When he finish with you, you say, oh, I don't know what came over me. I'm so sorry. I love you. It will come again and again, come over you again and again until you can no longer walk out of it. So it's very clear because if it was Potiphar, he was the chief of staff of, of Pharaoh. Clearly, slave boys were not in short supply. Why she, if, you, if you look at the psychology of the story, the spite she entered into was that of being rejected. Not that of being remorseful. So if Brother Joe had obliged her, there would have been no problem. Because clearly, it speaks of a woman who had gotten used to having her way. Therefore, she was a certified sinner. Representing the institution of sin. Are you here? She just wasn't an offender. She was representing, she was seen institutionalized. She represented everything that you could see about somebody that has gotten into the groove of doing something wrong. That's why she reacted the way she reacted. Because she, she was not accustomed to being refused. And the moment Joseph refused, that was uncharted territory for her. So she flipped and switched the narrative, which still happens till today. Flip the narrative. Oh, it was him. I had to scream. Would have raped me. A slave in the slave's quarters will enter Oga's bedroom. When the, the house of this Oga has God room. No. You, some of you have forgotten. Joseph was imprisoned in Potiphar's house. The prison of Egypt. 
was in Potiphar's house, or at least Potiphar had a branch, a parish of that prison in his house. Was in prison in Potiphar's house. Well, you missed it. Now you know that your ogre has underground prison. You know your ogre has no mercy on offenders. And you go and try to want to touch his wife. No, it's unheard of. It's not, it's not even something you will consider. But ah, the power of love or manipulation, depending on how you look at it. So she flees the night and goes, no, he, he came unto me. In fact, look, I, I lay hold of his, of his jacket while he was fleeing. It's exactly what Joseph did and left his cloth for Potiphar's wife. You understand? He jumped out of it and ran. That's how she had it as evidence. And said, look, if, I'm, if what I'm saying is a lie, how come I have his garment? This was premeditated evil. You understand what I'm saying? This is not somebody who had a weakness. This is somebody who was institutionalized sin. So, are you with me? Who should have been jailed? Who should have been penalized? Who should have been embarrassed? Who should have been called out? What did Joseph do wrong? Who took the punishment? Whose punishment did he take? Representing. And Joseph took it gladly. No grudging. No filing appeal. No trying to say, I must have audience with Potiphar. Once I have audience with Potiphar and he can listen to me from an unbiased point of view, I will prove my innocence and he will set me free because he knew that proving his innocence meant that Potiphar's marriage is in jeopardy. The only way that Joseph will go scot-free will be to throw Potiphar's wife under the bus. So he would have sat down and weighed the odds and thought, you know what, let me take the punishment for this sin and preserve what she has. And you read that and you don't see a type and shadow of what Jesus did by he who knew no sin became sin so that you may become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's a shame if all we do is read this story to our children as Bible story and miss the fact that it's an express imagery of Christ. Express imagery. In prison now, the guy is still shining. He that, what, what is it? Ephesians 4. What is it that he ascended? But that he first descended. And gave gifts to men. As I prophecy says, he received gifts. Ephesians 4 says he gave gifts. Joseph is down under. He's down below. And he's manifesting gifts to people. Baker, you have a dream. Here's the interpretation. Butler, you have a dream. Here, he's still giving gifts. He's still blessing people. The same way this Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good. Healing all who were oppressed for the death of the Lord was with him. In prison, Joseph is shining. Giving gifts. People just like Jesus forgot Joseph in prison. 
He told the baker, your head will fly in four days. He told the butler, your place will be restored in the same time. And then being the human person that he was, he thought, you know what, you know, all you got to do, Buster Brock, just remember me when you stand before Pharaoh again carrying his cup because a butler is a cupbearer. And butler got back. Baker lost his head. Butler got back in the presence of Pharaoh and totally forgot Joseph. The same way that these guys would deny ever knowing him and all ran away. All ran away. Then Joseph comes out from down below and comes into life. Comes into the palace and becomes prime minister. Now having authority to punish everybody that ever offended him. At that point, anybody, Joseph, do you realize that at that, as prime minister, what he became Potiphar's boss? That means he would have had Potiphar and his wife dragged before him. See, kneel before me or die. Now, what do you have to say for yourself? What do you have to say for yourself? Is 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 he life? Is he life? He lets that slide. Let's assume you say, well, yeah, okay, he understands that it was just it was just circumstance. Just, just circumstance. You say, well, it's not their fault. They're the small fish, the big fish are the ones that sold me to slavery. And you say, well, yeah, he he let Potiphar go because he was you no. Know, at least he can be grateful that he, you know, helped his ministry. But those ones that really, really sold him out and went and lied to his father that he was dead. It's those ones he's waiting for. And just a few years into the seven years of famine, here they come. Like sheep to the slaughter. Big fat trap set for you and walking into it. And they get there. And the heavens are watching Joseph. What you going to do? And here they are. And he has them put in a corner and he starts to cry. It took him a while to reveal to them who he was. And when he revealed to them who he was, they panicked and were afraid. He says, do not be afraid. Just go and bring my father. Now he knew that if they went because they knew that it's Joseph they met and he's now prime minister. There's no way this guy will not kill. We, we even escaped without him, without him locking us up. There's no way they will come back. So he took Benjamin. As they are filling their grain, he took his own personal golden cup and put it in Benjamin's sack and sent them to go. As soon as they left, he sent, he said, go and check, my cup is missing, my royal cup is missing. Search all their bags. They searched and found it in Benjamin's sack. Say, well, Benjamin stays. You go. Come back with your father. Your father come and beg for him. But it was all a ruse. And they went and explained everything to Benjamin and to Joseph and, and then Jacob. And Jacob goes, well, I lost Joseph. And now Benjamin, son of consolation. Benoni, son of my old age. That was his other name. Well, I will arise and go. When he went back, Joseph now said, it's I. I didn't bring you back to punish you. I brought you back to reward you. Because you, you used to come and buy grain. Now you can live with the grain. And you will come and worship and go back. You would, you will approach me to seek what you want and go back. Now you can live in my presence. And my presence will be in you. 
No, you don't have to go and come back and you need something. You come and say, God, I come to you, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Let me fast and let me pray. Let me try and approach you. Let me work to up to come. Let me labor to come. He said, now you don't need to do that. Come once, boldly, stay here. All is ready. And he carved out Goshen for them. Kept them where they never had to buy food another day in their life. Are you seeing the picture? And they come in and they start to grow and start to forget the picture. So he paints another one. Because scripture goes on to say that there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. Then they enter into captivity because they are multiplying at an alarming rate. So at this point now people are beginning to, to lose sight of the story. Because the narrative is changing. So God takes advantage again of the new narrative he created to continue telling the same story. And he brings us into Exodus. Chapter 1. This new Pharaoh, are you following? This new Pharaoh now knows not Joseph, so doesn't give a toss what's going on. Doesn't care about Goshen. Doesn't care about protecting the Jews. Doesn't care about all of that. And now he's hearing how alarmingly they were multiplying. And so he starts to subjugate them and put them under pressure, reducing their ingredients for, for labor, but increasing the demand of what they should produce. That's evil. And so he says every Hebrew child that is born, two years and under, two years and under, every Hebrew male that is born, kill them. Every Hebrew male child that is born, Kill them. Every boy that is born, kill them. Because if you do that, we will get to the savior of these slaves. Among them, we will kill him young. He won't be able to rise enough to even sell the idea of delivering these people from Egypt. Kill every child. And this woman gave birth to this particular child that she thought was really cute. It's in scriptures, Exodus 1 into 2. That's the only thing she knew about the baby. He's too fine to be given up to be killed. In an era where I'm sure a countless other women had surrendered their male sons to be incinerated, perhaps. She goes, This is too fine. We have to save him. We don't understand why we are saving him, but. We Let's save him. Put him in a basket. Sent him in the water. Ark. Salvation. Noah. Salvation. Put him in that little ark. Send him on the water. And here comes Pharaoh's daughter. With her maidens. Because they adored and even worshipped the river Nile. Primary source till today of water and hydro energy in Egypt. The river Nile. So bear that in mind when you now hear that the river Nile turned to blood. Bear that in mind. It means the entire economy of Egypt was grounded. Fishes died. Maritime trade stopped. Running water, bathing water. 
waterfall, engineering, everything that ran the economy of Egypt shut down when the Nile went bloody. The Nile is the entire source. In fact, Egypt, Cairo is split by the river Nile. Cairo is on both banks of the Nile River. Does that make sense? Cairo, the capital of Egypt. They're about to leave it now. They've almost finished building a brand new capital. They've spent hundreds of billions of dollars building a new capital. Yeah. They're about because Cairo is very congested. So they're moving out. They've already moved all the ministries out of Cairo already to that new capital. But Cairo, as we know it, is spread on both banks of the Nile River. It's the primary source of sustenance for Egypt. And so it's understandable that Pharaoh's daughter would go to bath there ceremonially. Not because she needed water and they don't have water in the palace. Are you here now? Ceremonially, she would go there. And according to her custom, she went there. And here comes this little baby whose fate has been left in the ark. And she rescues the child. And she names him Moses, identifying that he was a Hebrew child. His full name that she gave me was Tutmose. I'll come to that in a moment. What it is and what it signifies. It will make sense to you. An Egyptian woman saw an Hebrew child gave him a, a, an Egyptian name that was a Hebrew name rendered differently. Prophesying his destiny as savior without knowing what she was doing. Are you here? Exodus 1, 15. <laughs> and I can do this all through scripture from Genesis to Malachi. Easy. Step by step, showing you Christ in every page of the scripture. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra, and the, uh, the name of the other was Puah, and go on, next verse 16. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew woman, when you have them give birth, see them on birth stools. If it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? 19. And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Lie, you know. Because the Hebrew woman, and this is where there's one religious nonsense that has come into the church. You see where it came from now. You say, Well, may you give back like the Hebrew woman? It was a lie. You see it now. You see it now. He said, because the Uber women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. That was not true. Because the midwives gave birth to their children and just did not kill them. Go back now to verse 18. Go back to 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved, give us NLT 17. But the mid, because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders, which was to kill them. They allowed the boys to leave too with the girls. Are you here now? Now 18. 
So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why, why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to leave? 19. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. The midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. Religion just picks the verse. May you give birth like the Hebrew women. They didn't give birth specially. May your delivery be swift like the Hebrew women. Their delivery was normal. There was nothing different about their delivery. The midwives delivered the babies, did not kill them. Pharaoh was angry. Why did you spare their lives? Because these women, they give birth so fast. They give birth, we're not even there, but we're dead. How will you save a child's life if you were not there when the child was being born? Hello? Midwives were the ones delivering the children and not killing them. But when Pharaoh asked of his book, of course they were not going to tell Pharaoh, but are you 17 kids? And uh, uh, now, is it because you are Pharaoh, you can do what you like. Before you are saying, Pharaoh, <laughs> you see, you will see your head at the junction. <laughs> don't ask me how you will see it. <laughs> but you will see your head at the junction. So, of course, they had to come up with something to justify and save their own head. So, they told Pharaoh a lie. Ah, we are trying our best. But as soon as they labor, before we even reach there, they have given birth. Swift delivery. It was a lie, sir. Oh, can you trust God to have a managed delivery? Absolutely. But there was nothing special about Hebrew women. Giving birth. They were still slaves who didn't even know who they were. Wait, excuse me, who has a physical Bible? Is, that, is this in your Bible? It is? So it's not, it's not a verse I, I manufactured. You know, you know we can put it on screen and it will look like we decided to type one verse that is not in the Bible and put it on the screen. That's why it's good to so have physical Bibles can look at it. Oh, I pray I lose all you. May your verse be like the Hebrew. Why, sir, why doesn't it, why, why does it not work? Because labor is labor. If a woman's anatomy is different from the other, one will get into labor full and dilated fully and she gives birth. Another one starts to shout, your contractions are not even close enough. Water is not broken. The nurse will come and check how, how if you are dilated. How fully you are dilated. How many centimeters you are dilated. What they say, my water broke. Your dilating is the stretching of the urethral lining that preserves the baby and, and, and produces the placenta that feeds the baby nourishment and oxygen while it's in the womb. That's what guards the baby from what is within and what is without. Such that if that thing does not break the, the embryonic sac, it's called in biology, if it doesn't break, the baby cannot come out. Because that thing is, is covering the ureters of the woman and preventing anything from getting to the baby and preventing the baby from going out before it's time. So that embryonic sac has to give way and the process is called dilation where it begins to stretch and is stretching at a, at a frequency until it is stretched enough to burst. Does that make sense? When the embryonic sac bursts, it means that the fluid that the baby has been floating in now starts to spread out, forcing this baby to now want to come out and find breath outside because what has been given it oxygen has broken forth. Simple science. So as soon as it dilates and dilates, they check how fully dilated is it. Is it 
is it two centimeters, three centimeters? Okay, it's diluted. Now the water has broke. It's at the point where the water has broken that labor actually begins. Because that's when the contractions, and then the contractions, how far apart are they? Every five minutes, okay, well, come back in three hours. I'm not ready to give birth. Shout all you want. Just be at peace. It's this normal. Make contractions, and then some people are just very great, just like when you have serious menstrual cramps. And you know that, ah, my period is coming for this. Another person is just saying, million little miracles, and the floodgates open. In five days, you're done. The world did not stop rotating around its orbit. For some others, Lord Jesus. You become like desire and travail. She brought forth. She brought forth. That will also carry over into childbirth. Some people are dilating quicker, contracting quicker, pushing out quicker. Some people's cervix are fully more relaxed than others. Some other people's cervix needs to be proper, proper relaxed or wound before they can push. It's, it's not anybody chasing anybody. I was going to say something. I'll get, that, get to that in my teaching today. You must understand the difference. You must understand and settle the difference between shadows and substance. A message that she didn't understand when I talked about how the Spirit of God, fire, water, wind, are not defining the Holy Spirit's personality. Right? But his expressions are characteristics. These things, these things were types and shadows in the Old Testament. Show me one New Testament scripture where the Holy Spirit is referred to by wind, water, or oil. Every time they wanted to refer to him, they called him Spirit. So those types and shadows were in the Old Testament way of showing a man without the spirit, giving him a glimpse of what was to come. That's why we needed these stories in the Old Testament. Are you here now? Because these were men in whom was not the spirit. So they couldn't comprehend spiritual things, so we had to use carnal language to explain to them spiritual things. And long time ago, I was teaching here and I told you that the fact that these things happened, literally, doesn't mean that they lose their allegorical value. Does that make sense? Some things happen. But the reason why they happened is greater than why they happened. I told you there's the why of a thing and there's the why of that why. <laughs> right? It's why the why. Because you see a physical tree in Eden called tree of life. Then you come to Revelation. And see the person Christ Jesus called the tree of life. This is where some of our teachers start to get it wrong. Where they start to cancel out certain things as though they did not happen. Just because of what they signify. But it could have happened at the same time happening in order to show you what it signifies. Does that that make sense? Otherwise we didn't need to marry at all. We just need to be told the story of marriage. And what marriage signifies. Because now that somebody has known what it signifies, why are they marrying? Make sense? Exodus 1, 18. <laughs> and they said, well, they're giving birth very quickly before we, before we get there. Verse 20. I'm going all the way to 18. Therefore, say in the NLT, it will help somebody. Therefore, God was good to the midwives. God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. Problem. 
22, and the last verse of this text. 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Feed the children to the God. I told you they adored the river. Yeah. Throw every new one Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls leave. 23. 2 1, I beg your pardon. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. Again, I don't want to go here. <laughs> because, see, again, you look at things in the scriptures, you unbelievers will ask you, ah, but, uh, you know, why cannot, why cannot I not marry my sister and my cousin now? You look at all through the Bible. People were marrying their sister. Cain married his sister. Abraham married his sister. You know, Moses' father married his sister. You know, Abraham also called Eliezer and said, put your hand on my thigh and swear. But you don't take a wife for my husband out of any of these kind of nights. Go home to my tribe and take from there. And they said, but now you can't marry because if you marry, you contaminate your, your genes. Your DNA gets warped up if you get married to somebody from a direct biological lineage as you. You know that, right? You didn't know that? Wow. Okay, some of you knew that. A lot of you did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, because it messes up the genetic mutation of, of DNA development if you marry somebody and procreate with somebody that is very, the same DNA strand as you. So there's things like, there's certain things, I don't want to call names, there's certain medical conditions that exist in the earth today that actually stem from that. I don't want to call names because it's sensitive. So people are dealing with them and not necessarily as a result of that. But that is one of the primary reasons why some of those medical conditions exist. Because there's an interplay and cancellation of DNA gnomes. And then they mix wrongly. So they are too close to home. They cannot mutate properly to bring about a human being the way a human being is designed to come into the earth. Does that make sense? Is that thing? Right, but but in, in Old Testament time, they married sisters. Why? God was trying to show you something. I have a marriage I'm planning in the kingdom age. I have my son. And my son cannot marry a stranger. But the problem now is I have only one child, one son. So, but we have to have because my son cannot marry from other. So now let's give this son first. Let him go and save people and now bring plenty children into the kingdom. Now our tribe were many. Out of the sons he saves, we can now produce a wife for him. He has to marry from inside the house. This is what God was trying to show by allowing those intermarriages in the Old Testament. Because what happens at the end of the ages? And we are still dealing with sonship. I told you there's more. Because in the end, what is screamed is that let us rejoice and be glad. Giving praise to God for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And the bride has made herself ready. And he says the bride... Clothed with Adon, this, this, the rights are the saints, the great saints in righteousness, are the bride. So ultimately, what, what ends this day into the next day? The marriage of the Lamb. Sons are for the bride. Rather that she might be presented to the groom. That's why it says in Ephesians 5, follow me carefully. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. At that point, Christ is not talking, Paul is not talking about Christ and you as fellow sons. 
Because if you're talking about us and Christ as fellow sons, the analogy of man and wife is wrong. The dynamics of relationship between man and wife are totally different from the dynamics of relationship between father and son or between elder sibling and younger sibling. So if Paul was just referring to sonship in Ephesians 5, then that analogy is totally off point. But it's too deliberate for it to mean anything else. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might present her, New King James or King James, to himself a bride without spot or wrinkle. He might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that she, 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 the church, should be holy and without blemish. Go on. So husbands also ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Go on. No one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church as his wife. You see why Paul now says that I'm laboring over you because I vow to present you as a chaste virgin to the Lord. <laughs> Those are waters we have not navigated yet. So that is why in the Old Testament you see marriage within the same family. It wasn't God endorsing incestuous relationships. It was him in that time using what was in existence. And according to, if you knew, again I said just some studies answer some things. Because if you go and do a basic study in, in, in evolution science, you, you understand that uh, um, the early guys from, um, I've forgotten what that thing is called now, what those humans were before they began to, began to evolve. Prehistoric as it were, man, early man, had a superior DNA signature than man today, not homo sapiens. Neanderthal, that's the word. Neanderthals, yes. Neanderthals. Early prehistoric man, dark ages, bronze ages, had a more superior DNA footprint than this man today. Okay. Uh, humankind today are so much inferior in their DNA footprint compared to prehistoric man. In other words, it was much, much more possible for them to be able to intermarry in that era because DNA was superior. That's why they could even live for 600, 700, 800, 900. Are you here in church today? It was written of, of Moses that he was 120. His eyes were not dim. Yeah. 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 Are you following now? Yeah. 120. The same age, I think he was 80 or so. 80 when Caleb and Joshua. Caleb said, give me this mountain. Don't waste my time. Yeah. 80 years old, he was ready to go to war. <laughs> so don't give me a plane. Give me, don't give me, don't make it easy for me. Caleb collected his inheritance before they entered the promised land. Yes. 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 Do you know that? Yes. On this side of Jordan. He said, leave, I will hold everybody off. <laughs> On this side, you guys, you guys. Okay, they now gave him, and he crossed, and Joshua crossed over, conquered all the lands, settled Israel, then they came back. Go and read scriptures. He took his inheritance before the Jordan. To give me this mountain. Rearing for a fight at 18. Not fighting the spirit. Yes. 
So God will allow that in that era because one, the human nature could take it. Two, he needed to show a type of what was coming. Because now his son will marry from the family. From his own tribe. Did you see it? Are you at peace now? Let's explain some things for you now. Good. Exodus 2 and 1 or 2. 2 and 2. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby. See that? And kept him hidden for three months. When she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus, reeds, and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds on the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister, who we now later know to be Miriam, then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. So Pharaoh's daughter came down to bath in the river and her attendants walked along the river bank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maids to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children. She knew that, she said. Next verse. Then the baby sister approached the princess. Shall I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. So now Moses' mother starts to get paid for looking after her own child. How cool is that? You see why Miriam felt like she could advise Moses and Moses should shut up and listen? She felt like even for me, safe. Let's keep going. So I called the baby's mother, take the baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. So she took her baby home and nursed him. Look at this. Later, when the boy was weaned or older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him. See when adoption came. See when adoption came. Not at the beginning. You remember I told you, a child is not named when the child is born. Did you remember? Now when I said it, because I didn't gotten there, I didn't give you the scripture. Okay, open your eyes. Let's keep going. She took him after he had been weaned, after he had put away childish things. Eh? And had grown. Yeah? And now took him as her son. Adopted him. Look at this. Who adopted him as her son, then the princess, go on, named him. He wasn't named Moses when he was born or when he was eight days old. He was given. Why do you. Oh, my lad, Dubai. Philippians 2. How God. Highly exalted Jesus Christ of Nazareth. After he rose from the dead and gave him the name. When Jesus' sonship became complete. And when he was of age, when he was of age, 
He was then officially conferred the exousia to become his son. Authority. And with that authority came Onomatos. The identity, authority, character, and essence backing a person has been exalted into a privileged position. Then she named him Moses. For she explained, I drew him. Hey, this is where New King James is sweet. Or King James. <laughs> she called his name Moses. Go on. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. Moses was what she called him. Moses is rendered to us in the Bible as the Hebrew name. But what she named him in Egyptian was Tuthmose. Translated in the Hebrew, Moshe, which became Moses in English. Tuth, T-H-U-T, Moshe. Two words combined, it's a compound word. Tooth was a god. <laughs> One of the Egyptian gods. It was called Thut. T-H-U-T. Are you here? And Moser meant child. As in now. Thut. God. <laughs> <laughs> Mose, child as a noun. Child of God, son of God. At the point of adoption. It doesn't stop there. Mose also as a verb had a different meaning, which means. <laughs> Dog, to bear, to produce, to bring forth. So, Thutmose, a child of a God who has ability to produce, to bear, to bring forth. As a now, Mose is child. Tooth, God. As a verb, Mose means to bear or to bear fruit, to produce, to multiply, to bring forth. She looked at him. I drew him out so he can draw others out. I brought him forth out of water so he can bring others forth. Because this is, this is a God's son. I think he will produce others like him. <laughs> An Egyptian princess. This, this one. Tutmosa is translated then into Hebrew. Masha, but it's pronounced Moshe. M-A-H-S-H-A-H. That's the Hebrew name for Moses. In the actual Aramaic. M-A-S-H. H-A-H. Masha, right? But pronounced Moshe. Which means to draw out. 
to draw out, to call out. So you see that in Exodus 2, right? Verse 10, you see that in his name, you see that in 2 Samuel chapter 22. What is used there? 2 Samuel 22, 17. Are you still here? That's the same concept used here. He reached out from heaven and rescued me. He David was not in physical deep waters. All the nearly 13 years that Saul chased him. Where was he being chased? Where on land? In the wilderness. Where's deep waters there? Because it's the same guy that's saying in a dry and thirsty land where there is. <laughs> that's why we come for Bible study. Don't leave your brain at home. That's why everybody will tell you nonsense and you believe. When you now go home, you now enter the house, collect your brain. Ah, hey. Oh, Papa, hey. All the times that Saul was chasing David, Saul to Momo, you are a king. You left the palace, came out to wilderness and be chasing a 17-year-old boy. You don't have shame. Boy, shepherd boy. You left the palace and followed him into the wilderness. 13 years running after David. In the wilderness, right? Yes. So how come Mandevo is saying God drew him out of deep waters? <laughs> if it was not metaphoric and prophetic. Because we too, as Peter says, baptism an antitype of baptism. Noah's ark, Peter says. An antitype of baptism. We were drawn out of deep waters. Are you here? I drew you out of water. David repeats the same thing. That's the same thing. So if you read, if you read First and Second Samuel, you see a lot of David's psalms and prayers that are repeated in the book of Psalms. Because he wrote 75% of the book of Psalms. And those collections were where collections that David had written or prayed in his sojourn as both fugitive and king. Right? So this second Samuel 22 is repeated in the book of Psalms. Same thing. You see that in Psalm 18.16. Thank you. That's it. He sent from above. He took me and drew me out of many waters. You see that? So Moses... In the Hebrew is Moshe or Moshe. And the connection is clear. Pharaoh's daughter was prophesying about Jesus. And she did not know. Son of God that will produce others like him. By drawing them out. And drawing them to. No one comes to me. Me or except my father draws. So a heathen princess looked into a basket and saw Jesus. And we are in church for 200 years. And all 
we are seeing is Bible stories. He said, oh, the preaching is too long. That's why you don't know anything. Years and years and years and years and years. We're going into the scriptures, preaching surface level, elementary knowledge, no depth of what lies underneath. That's why it's not translating to a lifestyle of Christian conviction. She looked into the basket. She said, ah, this one is Hebrew. It's God picking. He will draw others. He will bear fruit. <laughs> Exodus 12. <laughs> Are you here today? Exodus 12. I need from verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs. Lambs. <laughs> for yourselves according to your families. And kill thee. Passover lamb. Go back to church consciousness briefly. Have you gone back? Are you there? You have found yourself? Okay. Kill the Passover lamb. Next verse. And you shall take a bunch of high soap and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood, on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. Go back to 22. The Lord, take a bunch of insurance and strike it on the lintel and doorpost. Go on quickly. And none of you shall go out of his house until the morning. 23, I've showed you this before. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. The Lord will pass through to strike. The Egyptians, the Lord will pass through to strike. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and doorposts, he will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to strike. So the, the, the Lord did not strike. He passed. See why I explained to you that there is nothing called darkness. It's just the absence of light. There's nothing called condemnation. It's just the absence of reconciliation. Somebody has refused to receive what Jesus has. He's the one that has, has condemned himself. God is not in the business of condemning anybody because it gives him no pleasure that any shall perish. So he will pass. He doesn't see the blood. He does pass and keep going. What did Israel want to do? Israel can do. But the Lord himself is destroying nobody. So I will not allow, see what I said, I will try and just read and pass. 24. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. And I have explained to you in this house what forever means. And how forever does not mean eternally. Because again, we're reading these things in the Old Testament and we're having all kinds of confusion. Say, oh, but the Bible says you do it forever. Forever is eon. It is a dime. It's talking about a dispensation. 
forever does not refer to time. Forever refers to what? A dispensation. So forever essentially means for as long as this dispensation exists. Does that make sense? That is why even in Exodus 20 when he gives the Sabbath and says you shall keep the Sabbath holy forever. In the writer of Hebrews then comes in chapter 4 and explains to you that the Sabbath is Christ. So it's ended in Christ. So Christ is the forever of the Sabbath. Are you following me now? So in Christ coming and becoming our rest, every Sabbath for all eternity has been kept in Christ. Does that make sense? So Christ is the forever of the Sabbath. Just as he is the forever of the Passover. Because this guy, ah, he says that this priest according to the flesh their priesthood is always cut short. I can't wait to deal with Hebrews. Their priesthood is always cut short by death. Look at Hebrews. Yes? So, of a necessity, priest after priest after priest must keep coming because they cannot serve forever. But this one comes of a different order. And what qualifies him to be the great high priest is that this priest does not die. He lives forever. Now, it, but you see, that's not the end of the good news. Living forever has two dimensions. The first dimension is that every time a sacrifice is required, the same priest is alive to deliver it. That's good, but it's not good enough because you see, this priest is so high that um, for all eternity... He drops the sacrifice once. Hebrews 10, 14, right? For by... It would have been okay that Jesus just lives forever to be interceding for us once a year. At least we know at least last, last, when it's time for sacrifice, Jesus will show that would have been fine for me. I mean, you are alive. You're not dying, Abby. You're living forever. So I don't even need to enter that holy place at all. You just be coming and be just paying for my sins. Like, nah, that's fine. But he comes. He's, oh my God. Once. Drops the sacrifice once. And after he dropped it, Hebrews said he sat down. And you don't know the importance of this thing until you understand the Old Testament. The only thing a priest never did in the most holy place was sit down. There was no chair in the holy place. There was just the Ark of Covenant right there in the middle. There was the olive wine press feeding the lampstand with incense to make sure the fire never burnt out. That was it. Because when you enter there, you enter there to do service. Pour the blood on the mercy seat, the two cherubims with the two teams that met over the mercy seat with one beating gold together. Pour the blood over there. Atone for the sins. The bell is ringing so we know you're not dead. Remember, there's a bell around their waist. Once the bell stops ringing, we know that, ah, ha, 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 ha. I priest don't die. God have killed him because he, was had, he had what? Secret sin. You know that one, right? 
We now pull him out. You know, my imagination is very crazy. So now me, I'm now imagining as they are pulling high priest. He now breach. You know breach when they are about to burn child. He now breach. He now get to the door. His head is on this side of the door. The leg is on this side of the door. They're trying to pull high priest out. But he's stuck at the door. And you can't enter the most holy place. So me, I picture myself coming with a long axe, long scotlass. Come to the door in the middle of his waist. He's already dead now. And I'm not the one that says we cannot enter the most holy place. Is it me? But we need to bring up dead things cannot stay in the presence of God. So he's pulling, pulling, pulling. His head is on this side of the door. His legs on that side of the door. You're trying to pull, pull, pull. He can't come out. What are you going to do? You know that long sickle that they used to? So once the bell stops ringing, we know that the high priest is dead. And we pull him out. So whenever the high priest entered that place, it was serious business. Do you know that the high priest prepared for six months to enter the most holy place once a year? No sleeping with your, your wife. Your wife. God will kill you. So if you're like, ah, I can't be a priest. That's why our salvation was not given to you. Nonsense. We're talking about saving our soul. You are talking about your wife. Can you see yourself? Like, ah, I cannot do it all. You see now? We're not shouting that Jesus saved us. You are judging us. Ah, uh-uh, ah, now. <laughs> Does it make sense? Six months to enter and you are not sure if you will come out. As the high priest comes out, he takes a sabbatical. Another high priest has to prepare to face God next year. So he enters with, enters with reference. Great fear. Am I praying right? Am I doing right? Am I pouring the blood right? Am I pouring the right proportion? God, are we okay? Do you understand now why according to Leviticus 16, the high priest had to offer a bull, cow, for his own sin. And then for all of Israel, a goat. Do you understand? Because he's, the sin of all of Israel is riding on him. So to purify himself, he offers a cow for his own sin alone. So that he can be qualified to enter. But, but the moment he has been able to enter to do the sacrifice, the blood of a goat is okay for everybody else. As long as you have been sanctified. So you see, it turns, it turns out that it's always been the purity of the priest. That matters. about the state of the sinner. <laughs> it's never been about the state of the sinner. It's always been riding on the purity 
of the priest making the pure sacrifice. <laughs> so you will enter. Do the thing as soon as you finish. Ah, have we finished? You didn't kill me. <laughs> see you when I see you. <laughs> now some of you will understand why Zachariah even saw Gabriel's appearance as a distraction. Come and tell me something about John. I'll give birth. I'm trying to finish this sacrifice. Do you understand it now? I'm like, angel. You, you're angel. You're not God. Can you repeat? <laughs> angel, Gabriel too vexed. I am Gabriel that stands in the... Because you know, do you realize that it wasn't God that made Zechariah deaf? It was the pride of Gabriel. Well, when you go back, read it. Because, yeah, he said, how can this thing be? Gabriel now replied to Zechariah. He said, look for it. He said, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. You dare question me? Please put it up. Quickly. You see why I take my time to teach? I don't like mentioning something and leaving it. Look at it. Okay, look one. Um, okay, I was going to go to verse 17, but it's okay. It's okay. He will go in the, before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, referring to John, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and disobedience to the wisdom of the just and to make ready. Even Zachariah's father knew John's ministry. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See verse 18. Zachariah now said, how shall I know this? For I am an old man. My wife is well advancing years. Next line. And the angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel. Me, me, Gibu, me, Gibu. Moi. Brought you glad tidings. See, see verse 20. But behold, you'll be mute here and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words. Things that angels cannot do now. We're in Exodus 12. So this guy finished, did the sacrifice. He sacrificed to God. In the presence of God. When he now finished sacrificing to God for our sins, he pulled chair beside God. Sat down. God said to him, what are you doing here? He said, the work is finished. Where am I going again? I'm jobless. Our two, we are the one God, Abby. Our two will sit here. And not because we're expecting, because I'm the highest high priest. So as we sat here, now, because no other person is coming here to bring any sacrifice. Do you understand? 
So when he finished, he sat down. So why have I told you this? Exodus 12, ordinance forever. Cannot continue beyond the person that offered once and sat down. Is this clear for you to understand? In this person sitting down, what he has done is, I calculated every sacrifice that will be required for every single sin of every single individual in the whole world for all times into eternity to come. And in one sacrifice, I answered it all. So I, 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 I stood up once for all the times that anybody would need somebody to stand up for them. As I've sat down now, I've sat down because there's nobody needing somebody to stand up for them in the future that I haven't stood up for them now. So, sir, let's try. It is complete finish, nothing remaining to be added. Father, any questions? And the father is like, no, son. Only, the only thing remaining now is for your enemies to be made your first to Rabbi. Uh, what's the last enemy? Death, Rabbi. Death with your, or your other brethren that you have now introduced to me that can come freely. Uh, so that's all now. Just sit. Let's be sitting. Waiting for death. So they too can now become like you like this. So, I said to you last week, I said it two weeks ago, and it cost a lot of, the fights that it cost. And I will repeat it again so I can enter you and burn you very, very well. I said, if Christ said we should continue to keep a shadow, then he is implying that he is not the substance. Any shadow that is still in force after Jesus, the substance showed up. Is telling Jesus, or is Jesus telling us that substance you are looking for is not me? Because you only observe a shadow in pursuit of the substance. You only observe a shadow in pursuit of the substance. Now, if Colossians 2 makes it clear, the substance is of Christ. Yeah. And the substance is here. What are you doing chasing, literally chasing shadows? Again, I speak. Scripture is clear. Just re re retire your bias. Let the scripture speak. Why would Jesus sit down if it's an ordinance you should be doing forever? Because it means that Jesus should be offering that sacrifice since he's a high priest. He should be offering the high priest over and over and over and over and over. But Hebrews 10, 14 makes it clear. Hebrews 10, 14. By, put it up for them to see. By one offering. 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 One offering. Sat down. Said it's done. So, this other priest, no sito. <laughs> Just come out with joy that you did not die. <laughs> Believe God for next year. But this high priest offered two verses earlier. 
We're in Hebrews 10, 14. Give us verse 12. I can't wait to do a topical study on Hebrews. This capital M man. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Wait. So am I right or am I correct? This is capital M man. As differential from that other man and his kind. This, this man, this man. Once powerful enough, the efficacy of the blood that you listen to me before you clap, that you never need to plead twice. That's another lie religion has sold to the church. You get up. No human being can plead the blood of Jesus. Only the high priest. Only the high priest. Show me anywhere in the Old Testament where the, where the sinner handles the blood to pay for his own sin. Show me one place where it was the sinner that handled the blood. How you want to enter that holy place? You not say, wait, oh, I sinned against God, Godwin. I brought a lamb. I killed it. I collected the blood. I, I they come, I'll see for us. I'm entering the most holy place. For me, yeah, so that in the old testament it didn't happen. Now, Jesus, our high priest, Jesus, our sacrifice, Jesus, our scapegoat. The most holy place gave the one offering for sin forever, shed the blood, sat down. You then stood up to plead blood and say, Your father's, your pastor said, You and your pastor and his pastor are liars. When you go back, ask them to explain to you what I just showed you. Ask them where they got it from. That Jesus, 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 not your spiritual father. Jesus has offered one sacrifice and sat down. Now tell you, 
you should plead the blood. Show me one place in the Bible. One. The day you show me, I drop the Bible. I tell you, I apologize and follow whatever you are teaching. Show me one place. And I repent publicly. Jesus, not, my, not the person that led me to Christ. Do you understand? Jesus, not my Sunday school teacher, not my, my, my Bible school instructor. Jesus, the sacrifice for my sin, paid for my sin forever. Once. Sat down. Then a priest who dies. Will not come and enter. How much less you Gentile? Go and read the Old Testament. In the tabernacle, a Gentile, the outer court where they wash their legs in the brazen liver, a Gentile could not enter the outer court. Outer, outer, outer. You see that nonsense say you are a spiritual Levite. It's a lie. I'm just trying to explain Exodus 12. I'm sorry. So when it says you shall keep this ordinance forever, understand that forever is a person. Are you here? Forever is a person. His name is Jesus. Forever has a name. Forever has a name. Forever has a name. Forever is a person. I want to finish. Can I finish Moses? <laughs> Exodus 12. Where are we? 20 what? 4? Do you understand this verse now? Are you sure? Forever. This is why you must sit down and be taught the scriptures properly. Next verse. Hallelujah. Amen. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you just as he promised that you shall keep this service. It will come to pass, hear this carefully, when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, wait, just as he promised. Canaan is not the land God promised. It is your promised land that God gave you. But a man could take away from you what God gave you. Sir, that's not the promise. Because by two immutable things by which it is impossible for God to lie. How you know God? Ecclesiastes 3.14. How do you know what is God's business? Put it up. Let's see. That whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it that men 
So how you know that God did it is that no man can take it away from you. Israel was a type and shadow. Canaan land was a type and shadow. It is not the reality of the believer. 25. Exodus 12, 25. Do you understand it now? It will come to pass. It will come to pass. That when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. For you have come, you have come, you have come. Hebrews 12, you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God. The city they were looking for. Whose builder and founder in chapter 11? You know that now? Chapter 11, they were looking for a city whose builder and founder and maker was God. By chapter 12, we have come to that city of the living God. By chapter 11, one chapter ago, they were looking for the city whose builder and founder is God. By chapter 12, we have come to the city of the living God. That is the land promised us. We have a token of it in the promise of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of it when we enter eternal life. When we enter immortality. When we enter our glorified body. Then that promise is complete. So the Holy Spirit is given to guarantee that God will keep his promise. And his promise is not Canaan land. You will keep this promise. How? In him who has perpetually kept it. But because it is always the tangible that shows the intangible. We now give them a Canaan land. As a token. That's why they lost it. Because it's not the real thing. I showed you last week. That's why God left Shiloh. Because it's not the real thing. We saw it last, last week in Jeremiah. We saw that high places were burnt down because they were, they were relevant for while they lasted. Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. John 4, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, the woman asked him, I showed you now, John 4. She said, I perceive you are a prophet. So let me ask you this thing that has been disturbing me. We Samaritans go to Mount Gerizim to worship. You Jews say it's Jerusalem that we should worship. I ask you, where is the right place to worship? Jesus said, it's not where, it's who. She said a time is coming applying to the Samaritan woman. And now is applying to Pav. Because for her, it's coming. For me, it now is. When worshippers, look at this, will give us TPT or NLT, modern translation, NLT at least. Look at this. God brought me here now. A time is coming when you won't worship the Father. Look at your Bible, please. Mbok, mbok, mbok. You won't worship the Father on a mountain. Please, Godwin, sir. This is, you see, if it's Pav, you can say that boy is crazy. Are you following me? If it's Paul or, or Peter, you can say maybe they did not hear well. This is Jesus speaking. Sir, this is your Bible, sir. This is the person you say saved you. 
speaking. This is the person you worship and call ancient of days. Hear ye him. And he says, the time is coming when you won't worship the father on a mountain or in Jerusalem, but where? Let's see the message. 21. Look at this. Believe me, woman. The time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father. Neither here at this mountain, nor there. So she came saying, Jews say it's Jerusalem. We, we say it's mountain. You, you say where? He says it's not a where. It's not a where. That's why the city we have come to, he has a name. Hebrews 11 says, Apostle, he sought a city here whose founder and builder is God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, he says, no other foundation, hear me carefully, can be laid other than that which is laid, which is Christ. Please find it. Hmm. This guy sought a city whose builder and founder is God. Paul defines in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that no other foundation can be laid other than that which is laid. No other foundation can be laid which is 1 Corinthians 3.11. Thank you. I'm trying. Am I not trying? For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is. So, you see, Jesus, God, laid the foundation. The foundation is Christ. So, when these guys were looking for a city whose founder is Christ, who were they looking for? <laughs> so when in chapter 12, when it says, we have come to the city of the living God. Who is the city? Because it says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, not this one in Arabia that is in bondage with all her children. Galatians chapter 4. I did not say it. It's in your Bible. You have come to an innumerable company of angels. I like the next verse. You have come to the church. Come on, 23. You have come to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. You have come to Jesus. Who is New Jerusalem? Who is the city? Who is Mount Zion? They sought a city. We are in the city.
Exodus 12. Let's finish. When, 30, when 25, right? Two more verses to go. I'm just going to verse 27. Exodus 12, 25. Hallelujah. You see that land now? That land is not referring to Canaan. You will keep the service. It's perpetually fulfilled in the chief servant. Christ Jesus. He's the chief servant because he told his disciples, the son of man, John 13, right? The son of man did not come to be served by the world. He came to serve the world. 26. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? 27. You shall say, it is the, when your children ask you, you shall say, <laughs> it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our household. It shall come to pass when your children ask you, you shall say to them, it's the Passover service of the Lord. First yes. Corinthians 5, 7, that's where we're ending because you can quote that Exodus 12 and say, hey, well, it's supposed to be an ordinance for generations. See 1 Corinthians 5, 7, explain that, and then argue with your Bible when you get home. Read for yourself. When you see it, you see it. When your children ask you, tell them it's a Passover sacrifice of the Lord. For indeed, Christ So Jewish children, if they like, Jewish parents, if they like, can tell their parents of a time in history Tell their children a time in history when they crossed over and the angel came and he left Egypt. It has nothing to do with sons of God. Yes, Because for sons of God, Christ is our Passover. Of which Moses' Passover was but a type and shadow. The Moses who was identified prophetically as son of God who will draw now received a mandate to show them a tangible type of he that will draw when he said if I believe that he meant if John 12, 31, 32. Then we look at John 3. Who's our Passover lamb? Okay. Now the judgment of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. 32. And I, if 
am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. Excuse me, it was not praise worship that was happening here. Amplified, please. When you see it, you see it. It's not my fault that my eyes are open to see these things. How does the TPT, how does the TPT put this verse? I will do this when I'm lifted up off, off of the ground. And when I what? The message. I've not looking, looked at it. As I'm lifted up from the earth, I will attract everyone to me and gather them around me. If I be lifted up. John 3 explains what he meant by lifting up. I think chapter 4, verse 12 or so, John 3. I don't, I, don't want to, I, I don't want to touch my Bible. I don't. John 3, John 3, 12. I have told you, if I've told you these things and, and you do not believe me, how would you believe me if I tell you heavenly things? Don't even get me started there. 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. Don't even let's go there. That is the son of man who is in heaven. Verse 14. See. As Moses lifted up the serpent. Does this mean that Moses praised the serpent? Because if Jesus is saying, lift me Jesus up. If I be lifted up, if I be praised, I will draw men. Then it has to mean here that you're saying, just as Moses praised the serpent and worshipped the serpent in the wilderness. But what did he do to the serpent? You know the story now in the book of Numbers. Snakes were biting them. It was a plague. He said, make a brazen serpent. Hang it on a pole. On a pole. On a pole. On a pole. Why were snakes biting them? Sin. Sin, sin broke in the camp. The snake signified sin. Are you here? Don't forget the serpent in Genesis 3 that tempted man to bring about sin. So the serpent signifies what? Sin. God told Moses, make their sin, put it on a pole. Hang their sin on a pole. As many people as see their sin, when they look at it, they shall live. As many people as see their sin, is in your Bible, when they look at it, shall live. As many people as see their sin, when they look at it, shall live. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made him who knew no sin to become sin that I... So when John says in 1 John, confess your sin. Who was our sin? Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, what? The Lord Jesus as what in that context? Our sin. You shall be saved. People were like, Moses, the serpent beat me a hundred times. Moses said, look at that one. 
Me, it was only three times the serpent beat me. Look at that one. 100 times the serpent beat me. Look at the real serpent. So Jesus comes. Isaiah 53, 6. People should see it. Isaiah 53, 6. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. So Jesus, who had read Moses, came in John 3. And we are 14. And in John 3, 14, Jesus then says, as Moses, give me Amplified. Let's see what Amplified says there. I, I have not seen it before. Text only. When you see it, you see text only. Can you see it? As Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the desert on a pole, so must the son of man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up like that, I will more sure to say, I will draw, I will multiply, I will bear, I will drag, I will attract all men unto me. Listen to me. If you have been drawn of the Lord Jesus, I dare you to open up your mouth in this place and give him a crazy shout of praise like you know that you know that you know that you know i am the redeemed of the lord let the redeemed of the lord say so let the redeemed of You better go ahead and praise him right now. Go ahead and praise him right now. I have been drawn out. I have been called out. I have been redeemed. I have been drawn out. I've been attracted to the Lord. I look upon my sin and my sins are forgiven. I look upon him and my sins are forgiven. Go ahead and give him a praise like you know. We will not lift him twice. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Oh, don't get me started, but it's so palagajibis. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Most High God, for being intentional about us. For using many different pictures and illustrations to show us the same one message. Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and forever these were the things that Timothy saw 
When Paul said, since thou was a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. How did Timothy see Jesus for salvation in Genesis to Malachi? If not that God, like Jesus in Luke 24, opened their eyes. And they may comprehend the scriptures. We'll continue next week. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.